Just a quick review, and especially for the sake of those who are visiting with us this morning. Following the Easter service, we have been focusing on prayer as an important part of how we respond to God and how we show our thankfulness to Him. For the morning worship services, we've been looking at the Heidelberg Catechism and as it takes each part of the Lord's Prayer. This morning, we're going to be looking at Lord's Day 49. Lord's Day 49, it's found on page 921, and also it'll be on the screen for you. We're going to read, first of all, from the Heidelberg Catechism. I will ask the question, and invite you to respond in unison with the answer. What does the third request mean? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means help us and all people to reject our own wills and to obey your will without any backtalk your will alone is good. Help us, one and all, to carry out the work we are called to as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. Now we're going to turn to the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 50. And we'll be looking at verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and, so, and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Family, friends of Escalon CRC, 
Few concepts in theology generate more discussion and questions than the will of God. It's easy to speak about the will of God without really reflecting on the implications of what those words actually mean. We're told that the will of God describes God's divine plan and purposes as we see them in our lives. We can legitimately ask as we contemplate, who am I to determine what God knows as best for my life? So we wrestle with this whole idea. When a loved one or a special friend dies, someone may say to you, well, that was God's will. But that doesn't necessarily give a sense of comfort or resolution. It doesn't help us understand why it happened or how it fits into God's greater plans and purposes. Another question is, how do we know God's will? How do we truly know? What is his will for summer employment? for my major at college, for my career, for my potential marriage, whether children are in the future, if we should rent or buy a house. There are so many questions that we face over the course of our lifetime, and we, we often wonder, what is God's will? Sometimes in our so-called Christian lingo, we speak of everything happening according to God's will. We talk in terms also of being obedient to the will of God. And then our discussions revolve around how difficult it can be to find the will of God. And what does that mean? Well, as I was preparing the message for this morning, I discovered that the Bible uses that expression, the will of God, in a variety of ways. There's two different Greek words that are used in the New Testament, the word bole and thelema. Both of them are capable of several different meanings and nuances. They encompass the idea of the will of God being the counsel of God or the plan of God the decrees of God, and the disposition or attitude of God. What I discovered is that amongst many of the, th the theologians and Bible scholars, they had three different ways of referring to what God's will is. First of all, there's God's will of decree. That is, everything that God decrees will come to pass. It's because of who he is, because of his essence. He is eternal. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is unchanging. God is sovereign. And therefore, we can say that he knows what the future is, and that's his will. He decrees what happens. Second, there's God's will of desire. It refers to the way that God reveals himself in the words of Scripture. The Bible tells us what God wants us to do, that is, what his will is. And then finally, God's will of direction. 
It applies to those specific questions that we seek as we journey through life. It is this perspective of God's will, that third one, that often gives us anxiety and distress. It's when we ask, God, what do you want me to do? How do I know that I'm making the right decision? In his book, Just Do Something, a liberating approach to finding God's will, Kevin DeYoung makes a statement that I would like to quote. I'm going to paraphrase it just slightly. He says, trusting in God's will of decree is essential. Following God's will of desire is being obedient. Waiting for God's will of direction is a recipe for disaster. He goes on to say, it is better to seek first the kingdom of God and then trust that he will take care of our needs even before we know what those needs are and where we're going. Now, in explaining that phrase, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism, I believe, are helpful in our understanding of what it means when we are praying for God's will to be accomplished. Help us and all people to reject our own wills and to obey your will without any backtalk. Your will alone is good. So I chose as our passage Genesis 50. And I believe it's a helpful passage as we look at this whole idea of God's will. The context is this. Jacob has passed away. This triggers the emotions and the feelings of Joseph and his brothers. So we're just going to consider that first. First of all, let's consider Joseph. Joseph, most likely, looking back, remembers the roller coaster ride of his life from despair to triumph, from heights to depths, from dreams to dungeons, from promotion to rejection. He entered life, as we know, quite pampered and protected. His brothers were jealous, but he was protected from them. But then, as his story unfolds, his envious brothers throw him into a pit and sell him into, to some slave traders. Then, he was bought by a high-ranking man named Potiphar. And he was promoted to the head of his house and given full authority and trust. After that... He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of sexually assaulting her and as a result was thrown into an Egyptian dungeon. Almost overnight, he was sought by Pharaoh to interpret a dream and in the process was elevated to the position of prime minister in Egypt. And now we come to our text. After being separated from his family for more than 20 years, he was reunited with them 
and successfully managed the crisis situation brought on by a famine. So that's the vantage point of Joseph. But let's consider his brothers. Imagine what they felt, what they experienced. Perhaps they felt guilt and shame when they saw the anguish on their father's face as they gave Joseph's coat to him, the one that they had ripped apart and sprinkled with goat's blood. Maybe they felt the same emotions when they witnessed his tears and when they told him that Joseph had been killed. Perhaps they experienced regret that little Benjamin was deprived from seeing his older brother Joseph. But we do know for sure, and our text indicates, that they felt fear. Fear that the death of their father would open up the door for Joseph to show his vengeance. Verses 15 through 19 read, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a, a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Joseph's response reveals his character. He wept. Then he proceeds to offer to his brothers reassurance and forgiveness. And then we come to verse 20, which really is the focus of our message, where it says, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now, if we look at it, we would say the will of the brothers of Joseph appears to be contrary to the will of God. And yet it says God intended it for good. I came across an explanation by R.C. Spruill. He said, in the treachery perpetrated by Joseph's brothers, it was said, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. God's good will was served through the bad will of Joseph's brothers. Now, this does not mean that since they were only doing the will of God, that the acts of the brothers were virtues that were disguised. In fact, their acts are judged together with their intentions, and they're rightly judged to be evil but that God brings good out of evil only underscores the power and the excellence of his sovereign will of decree. That's a fundamental truth that we find reflected in this passage of Scripture, that God is behind every event that occurs in our lives. There are no accidents there's no such thing as coincidence. The Bible tells us people make their plans, but God's purposes prevail. As a result, 
I'd like to point out a couple of truths in the remaining time of the message this morning. First of all, that God works everything for his glory and for our good. Everything. Everything, good and bad, happy and sad, enriching and disappointing, all of th these things are used for God's glory and for our good. That truth is essential for each one of us to understand. Each one of us needs to understand that not one aspect of life is insignificant. Nothing in our lives is wasted because our lives are under the care of our loving Heavenly Father. Those are crucial words. I don't want you to miss them. If you are to take one thing with you, let me repeat those words. Not one aspect of our lives is in insignificant. Nothing in our lives is wasted because our lives are under the care of our loving Heavenly Father. Now Joseph knew that truth. That's why he was able to persevere even in the midst of all of those ups and downs in his life. So we need to keep that in mind because the opposite is also true. If we do not view our lives as under the control and the rule of a loving Heavenly Father, we will not be able to stand strong during times that are painful or disappointing. We must stand firm that all things happen according to God's plan and purposes. And that's what we're told in the Catechism. That when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're asking God to open our eyes to that truth. That everything in life works together for his glory and for our good. Again, Joseph understood that. He knew that he only saw part of the picture. And that God has everything in sight. He has already put everything together according to his wise counsel and will. Now, I thought of an, what's, what's an illustration or an example? And I thought we could say that Joseph saw the whole rainbow. Now, let me explain. Most of us, believe it or not, have never seen a complete rainbow. We look and we see what looks like an arc. Each part of the rainbow kind of blends into the horizon. But if you were to be up above, flying either on top of or through a rainbow, for example, if you were a helicopter pilot, you would know that a rainbow is actually circular and seamless. It has no beginning and no end. I actually confirmed the phenomena with Brent Alger. I wanted to make sure, and he, he said many years ago he had that experience when he was up in the air, and he said it was a double rainbow, and it was in a circular, uh, it presented itself in a circular dimension. 
And I thought, you know, that's similar to what God's will is. It's seamless. It flows together. And we, when we look at our lives, it's like looking at that rainbow that, that seems to just kind of go into the horizon. We know God's will in part. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. But we can be confident that everything is connected together for God's glory and for his honor. And that's what the scripture says. Psalm 135 verse 6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and in all the deep. Isaiah 46 verses 8 through 11 says, Remember this and stand firm. Recall to, to mind. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. In Ephesians 1 verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God works everything for his glory and for our good. Isn't that amazing? Second, because of that fact, our lives both now and into eternity will be forever changed. You ask how, how can our lives be changed? I believe, first of all, we're released from the, the regrets and the fears that we hold on to from the past. We're strengthened to face the challenges of the present, and we live in the hope of eternal life with our Lord and Savior. I believe one way to really summarize that is found in the contemporary testimony, our world belongs to God. I'm going to actually read from that, the contemporary uh, testimony on page 1020 in the back of the gray hymnal. Paragraphs four and five, listen closely. Our world has fallen into sin, but rebellion and sin can never dethrone God. He does not abandon the work of his hand. The heavens still declare his glory. He preserves his world, sending seasons, sun, and rain, upholding his creatures, renewing the earth, directing all things to their purpose. He promised a savior, and now the whole creation groans in the birth pangs of a new creation. God holds this world in sovereign love. He kept his promise, sending Jesus into the world. He poured out his spirit and broadcast the news that sinners who repent and believe in Jesus can live and breathe and move again as members of the family of God. Since we know 
that God's will is good and perfect, we can, we can live and breathe and move again as members of the family of God. And verse 20 reminds us that Joseph was able to look back on 30 years of trials and triumph, of slavery, of imprisonment, of loneliness, of separation. He can look back at all of that and acknowledge God's hand, God's presence in every detail of his life. One commentator summarizes, God used the valleys and the victories of Joseph's life to reach out to his brothers to bring restoration, to encourage his father Jacob, to bring the children of Israel to Egypt, and literally to save a world that was facing starvation. Indeed, God meant it for good. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul expands on that in Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16, he says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then his conclusion is this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Now, we need to recognize the fact that we're not able to fully comprehend and understand what God's will is. We don't know exactly. But God, our Father, is faithful. And he does know what is best. He has it all in his hands. That knowledge then produces a life that is changed. It gives us a deep and profound trust that God brings peace and he brings rest for our souls. And when we then pray for God's will to be done on earth and in heaven, we can pray those words because God is faithful and he keeps his promises. As you know, there are things in our lives that we would never ask for, but they happen. On this Mother's Day, and, and Pastor Dave mentioned that in his prayer, there are those who find this day to be difficult <clears throat> because of a broken home. Maybe a mother who abandoned or abused them or, or used manipulation. This can be a day difficult for those who desire to, but are unable to, conceive children. I think we just need to be aware of that. And also we need to realize that God can take what we can't explain. What we look at and say, 
Why would God allow that to happen? That's unfair. He can take that and bring about the greater goal of his will and his purposes. And it's comforting to know that throughout all situations of life, God is orchestrating an amazing plan for our lives. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess that as we pray your will be done, we do not fully understand what your will is. You have your purposes, your decrees. We know as you reveal yourself in the truths of Scripture what you want us to do and that you desire for us to be obedient. And yet, Lord, as we look for direction in life and as we face many decisions, we wrestle with what your will is. But we give you praise and thanks that in all circumstances of life, you have revealed yourself to be a God who is faithful to your promises so that we need not fear, that we can even look at situations that may have been intended for evil that you have taken and have used that for your good and to accomplish your will. Lord, each one of us faces situations and circumstances in life. Help us as we surrender to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior to remember that promise that nothing in our lives is insignificant and that you already have everything planned according to your purpose. May that give to us, first of all, an assurance that things in the past are forgiven. May it give us encouragement as we face difficulties today and may it give us hope as we look to a future of eternal life with our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.